I'm James. And I'm Brian. And this is Spamming Zero. Ted, question for you. You know, I, 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 it's part of our podcast blooper reel and like our teaser for this. I got Brian's name wrong for like the first two weeks that I was here at Red Route. Pronounce your name for the, for the audience. Yeah. My name is Ted Miko. Not Miko folks. Not Miko. Miko. I'll answer to both. You know, I've answered to many things, you know, bastard, blurs, and things, but like, but, but, but <laughs> Miko is usually the most common. Ted, would you agree with the statement that ultimately every brand sells one their product and two their experience? I'd say that the bright line between product and experience is is not it does is non-existent. So actually, I would say those two things are probably just both sides of the same coin. I think they're interchangeable in a lot of ways as well. So I, I agree with what you said, Ted, but I also think that there's always the uh, like seesaw between the precision of a statement and the simplicity of it. And there's a lot that can be gained from simplicity, even though there is lost precision. So I agree with you. Like they're so intertwined and a very big part of the customer experience is the product experience, but there's so much talk in this world of customer experience about how to like sell it in your organization and like, how big is it? Is it fluff? Is it value? How do you measure it? How do you think about it? And to me, that is a very clean way to think about it that gives it the respect that it deserves to kind of put it, right? Everybody understands the importance of the product to the business. And if you put the experience on that level next to it, then that's a really good starting point for an organization to go about driving value against it. Let's uh, semiologically unpack that a little bit. Say, so what is the product? Well, the, the product is, it, it isn't, if, if it's clothing, it's not this, yes, it, I guess it is the cotton and the stitching and the color and the pattern or whatever, but it's actually what it, you know, how it fits, what it says about you, how um, other people react to it. All those things play a role in the quote unquote product. So the customer experience i.e. the experience of wearing the shirt, let alone post-purchase customer experience, et cetera, is, is actually just as valid as the 20% viscous, 90% cotton or whatever. <laughs> so it's 110%. Um, but you get the, the idea, this is where I think the boundaries get a little fuzzy. As far as brands are concerned, yes, of course. I mean, look, look you know, let's face it, customer experience or especially customer success is or has been always the caboose. It's not driving the engine. Like it's product and marketing and sales. And when things are going well, it's, oh, this is fantastic. Oh, we'll have some issues on the other, other side of things. And those people are, you know, if they're lucky, they're in the same time zone. You know, if they're really lucky, they're in the same building, but very rarely. <laughs> it's a problem um, that needs to be sorted as opposed to an opportunity that needs to be tackled. So I think that if you're a believer like I am, that that sort of outlook dictates outcome. Um, it depends on the outlook that you have for customer experience or customer success. So if you think of it as a relationship engine, you know, this is our chance to have a relationship with a the customer, then there's a chance that that's exactly what you'll get. If you think of it as a cost center 
and therefore you're going to try and deflect as many tickets as quickly as possible, like, you know, then that's probably what you'll get at two, <laughs> which, which will lead to a, a great deal of customer dissatisfaction. But, you know, you've achieved your primary result, which is cost savings. So it really kind of depends on how a brand is thinking of the, the sector in general um, as to how they're, they're what, what strategies they're deploying. Um, and and I, I'd say uh, for good or for bad, I think that there are more and more brands now that are starting to get the message that as product becomes more and more commoditized in general, especially on the internet, you can find the same black dress in thousands of different places now, you know, like very marginal differences, you know, uh, brand differences between them. Um, then the service and the customer experience that's attached to it, whether it's pre-buy or post-buy, um, is the only define your only defining characteristic. And therefore you better, you know, you better double down on that. Um, especially as customer expectations keep dramatically, uh, increasing. So customer expectations for, you know, expert personalized, uh, and fast, uh, customer experiences are now kind of completely out of whack with the ability for any brand to deliver against. And that's creating that expectation gap that we're seeing play out. The brands that are, are, are best able to bridge that expectation gap are the brands that are surviving. And I do think that there will be brands that literally go to the wall because they put their customers last um, and they put service last. I mean, CEOs are always like, especially at, at, at popular brands are always talking about being customer centric, et cetera, while they're slashing customer service budgets on the, <laughs> so, um, and I do think that there will be many brands that go to the wall, but you know, in this, if this recession is deep and, and wide, like people think it might be because they, they misunderstood the signals that the customer was giving about how important it is to provide the service they want. I think of a couple of different examples here. I think the clo the better a band is when you see them live, like the music is their product, right? The experience that you have live becomes part of the product over time, but only if they can actually bridge between the two. And another example that I like to think about um, is Aviator Nation. Really, really awesome brand. Love them. Their clothing is, the product quality is top notch, right? So much, in fact, that they can charge the premium, but it's also the experience of, knowing that you have that product and you're repping that brand. It's become such a big thing that they're one of the few apparel brands that really have gone completely viral through social media like Instagram and TikTok. And so when you think about it, the bridge of what we're selling is it, like ultimately like the closer you can get to selling that bridge than just the product and the experience that's what I think is the stickiness of, of what everyone's trying to search for. And that's what I think that brands ultimately can shift the conversation into it being less cost centric and less like about that and about cost cuts and more so about like, if you change this, here is the opportunity cost on the back end. The more sticky you can get with that process, I think that the better. The financial mechanics of it are pretty obvious, like, i.e., the greater the brand loyalty, the higher the LTV. And especially when CAC, you know, like costs are spiraling out, up, the getting, getting more out of each customer becomes more, more important to any brand's survival. So the, the, way, the path to that is absolutely through customer service. And I will say, 
here's my pet peeve. So there are brands, Aviator Nation isn't one of them, that stalk me and have stalked me for years. You know, like have spent thousands of dollars on me and, and, and promised me everything. You know, chocolates, girls, fireworks, circus acts, anything to get my attention. The one time, one time they have my attention is when I have a problem or a question. So at that point in time, finally, they have my attention. I, I'm up on their stage. I'm finally with you. Now what? Well, the very people that have been stalking me and spending thousands of dollars, they disappear down a trap door right in front of me. Like they just disappear. And then this new bunch of people come along whose job it is to get rid of me as quickly and cheaply as possible. Like that makes no, in a total customer journey uh, drama, that makes no sense whatsoever. It's insane. So this idea of a relationship that, you know, a one-to-one -one relationship at scale with your customer, I think that's the goal. That was the goal of a lot of musicians, um, especially, you know, like people that like, like the Radioheads of this world that realize that they don't even need a record label. They could actually go straight to their customers. But I think it should be the goal of every brand as well. But again, you have to, you have to then look at those customer touch points as opportunities for the relationship, not, you know, get out a fly swat and try and swap, <laughs> swap the person away as efficiently as possible. Because otherwise you'll get that opposite result, which is now I feel swatted. You know, you've given me some really bad chatbot digital IVR thing that I can't get out of that is just wasting my time. The most valuable thing I have is my time and an inordinate amount of time is wasted. I'll give you a little, the, the little nugget that started thankful was when I looked up, um, and I think it was Time Magazine, that said that in our average lifetime, each one of us will spend 43 days dealing with customer support. 43 days. That's over six weeks of my life that I'm dealing with, like in, in, like in Dante's Inferno, <laughs> like somewhere trapped between the third and fourth circle of hell. I truly believe that if technology can help give everybody half that time back, so three weeks of their life back to spend yeah. On on a beach in Bali, not like dealing with customer care. I am I am we're, we are all batting on the side of the angels. I love what you talked about with this idea of the brand is trying so hard, right? It's a competitive landscape. They're trying so hard to get the attention and the affection of you when they are trying to get you to purchase the product, and then you turn it around, right? They're going outbound to you, trying to get a hold of you, right? They're sending you emails, SMS, ads. If they get like a 1% response rate on that, they're like celebrating and that's like a huge home run. And then the table turns around and the customer is seeking out the brand and it's like run and hide and let's limit how often this is happening as best we can. To me, the mindset shift that needs to happen at a very like literal and metric level is brands need to start looking at inbound contacts from customers as ads or touch points that have a 100% reply rate with 100% intent and a conversation that is valuable and thus a metric that you are motivated to maximize. Right. So you need to be able to show that delivering a good experience in that conversation is having a positive impact on that customer, which is a data relationship that you can create. And you need to be able to do that, have those positive conversations at scale. And this is where products like 
like ours and and like yours over at Thankful start to make this possible by orchestrating these conversations automatically so that it's right. Ask a marketer to send every single email and every single SMS or publish every ad manually one customer at a time. And like, that's just mayhem. Nobody would ever do that. So you need to be able to bring the automation, which unlocks kind of the value. But if you can bring that sort of automation and that quality of experience to these inbound touch points that are going on and the experience can be good, then you're suddenly able to achieve in reality, in kind of the constraints of the real world, you're able to actually achieve that mindset shift where rather than trying to run and hide and limit these conversations, suddenly now it is in the best interest of the brand and the growth of the brand to maximize these conversations. And that is a that is a huge mindset shift. And when you talk about uh, an LTV world and everything that's that's going on right now, these service touch points are so important and to be able to thrive in them and to do them at scale and to be able to start really acting on them as a positive thing that you want to maximize is just a game changer. I, I agree. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of things that I, I'd like to unpack a little bit. The first is that in that you have this weird Chinese wall between the acquisition side of most businesses and the retention side. And that's part of the problem is an institutional way of thinking where the acquisition side is all about, you know, acquiring data. And frankly, the retention side is all about sloughing that data off. In email especially, and I'm sure in voice too, people, customers tell you so much about themselves. They give you information that on the acquisition side of the business is priceless. And they spend, the, the marketing side of the business is spending a fortune trying to fill out a three-dimensional image of, of every customer, et cetera. On the service side, you're actually getting that. What happens to those tickets? They literally disappear into oblivion. Nobody is moving them into the CRM. If you can build a one-to-one -one relationship um, with a customer because your mantra is that every customer problem is an opportunity for the brand to get better, which is sort of a paraphrase of what you're, you're, you're saying, you do that through data. You need the data to be able to see the patterns, to see the, you know, the groupings, et cetera, and to know when, where this improvement can actually happen. What customer service can do is add trust into a relationship that if I'm on the phone with Brian and Brian has fixed my problem, then I have a, whether Brian is, a, is an AI or whether Brian is a human, it doesn't actually matter. I now have a relationship because Brian fixed it for me. He, whatever it is, he told me what to do or he gave me the status or, you know, he, he processed the exchange or whatever. He, he, re, he did something. If you can add trust to a relationship, you can power sales and marketing. It's not that much of a leap to imagine that in a year or two's time, customer service is the channel, that, that sales and marketing channel of the future. It has to be appropriate and context sensitive and all that stuff. But the opportunity for customer service to become a not only viable, but the most viable sales and marketing channel, I think is there. And I think the path to that is the data and really being able to understand the customer and then understand patterns of behavior that can help brands improve the customer journey, not just at that point, but on earlier touch points that are causing some of the problems. And at the moment in the post-purchase world, I don't think there's any data. Oh, look, that's actually, that's totally not true. There is agent performance data, <laughs> you know, but is there a customer data? No, there's nothing. The route to that mind shift that you're talking about is through the data. 
um, because through the data, you can actually create the financial case for it and then create those changes. You know, one of the things that I think about the most when I think about like this data collection, these opportunity and missed moments that brands have with their customers when they have their attention and they have their full undivided attention. I think about when you wait on hold when you're on the phone with the brand. And sometimes, especially during like peak season, you could be waiting for 45 minutes to an hour to two and you have that much time with a customer and you're playing hold music. Right. That's that's the best you can do as a brand. We're entirely right that there are so many missed opportunities, not just sort of re reactionary, like, you know, hey, if the customer loves you and you've sorted out the problem and, 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 and Brian's the man because of that, you know, like, should we be selling you something immediately or at least trying or like, you know, like, is there, but yeah, that's, that's good and obvious. And again, most people aren't doing that, but just in general, how do we nurture that relationship then? Because yeah. customer service literally only come out of the cave when there's a problem and then slinks back into the cave in the darkness, you yeah. know? And, and then three months later, Brian has another problem and then he comes out again and like fixes it or like, you know, again, how does that cadence work? And if I can provide relevant, interesting, uh, conversational um, information, but, you know, between those times, then you start to nurture that relationship. And so that's the, I think the goal, our goal, you know, our longer term goal is exactly that, you know, yes, you know, you have to understand the customer and you have to reply to them in a relevant, personalized, expert, you know, fast way, for sure. That's, there's a table stakes. Otherwise there is no relationship, but it's really about that relationship and what happens next is the, is where it gets super interesting for me. I agree with you a hundred percent. And when we talk about the data, I think that it falls into three buckets. So bucket one is what you touched on with the insights that can then be funneled back into the rest of the business that are so valuable, right? So I talk all the time about the idea that CEOs take the time to speak to their customers because they find it valuable enough and worth their time. And your support team is doing that all day, every day. So the value is obviously there. It's a matter of capturing the data and distributing the data. So data bucket one is around the insights and the distribution of those internally. Data bucket two, which you're also touching on, is showing that a good service experience will positively influence future purchasing behavior and the lifetime value of the customer. And this is like for brands that are doing it very well, that have a tech focus internally, that have data resources internally, they've created that relationship. And those are the same brands that have gone back and doubled down behind their customer experience and their customer support. Because at a very simple level, not some like big Forbes study, but in their own data on their own customers inside their own business, they've created the relationship between the quality of the support interaction and the future buying behavior of those customers over time. So that's data bucket number two. Data bucket number three is this, right? You touched almost on this idea of upselling, which is a little bit controversial. And I think for me, it can be in poor taste nine times out of 10 to have a upsell script that gets read by every agent at the end of every call to try and like take these people that have now gone through a bad experience and have this support rep try and go and sell more product. But I think that short of that, where there is very real opportunity to drive an immediate action that is valuable to the brand in the conversation, 
is to use the context of what was spoken about in that conversation to suggest a next best action in the customer journey for that brand, which they know because they've mapped these things internally and they understand these different kind of like moments and, and actions and aha moments, whatever you want to call it, that then will over time lead to an increase in the purchase behavior. And right, so th those can be things like making them aware of a community that exists around the brand or getting them to follow you on social or subscribe to your SMS or your email list. Like all of these different sort of things that the brands have already done the work to understand our best customers, what are the journey that they're taking? And yes, ultimately, right, th those are the, the stepping stones to more purchases down the road. Why are we trying to force these support interactions to be direct sales moments when we can instead look at it as, hey, this is an opportunity to bring them deeper into our brand and expose them to more of our community and more of what we stand for and some of these ways in which they can kind of come with us on the ride over time. There are pathways to a better relationship that don't necessarily mean a blatant sale. You're absolutely right. You know, there's all sorts of different things. You could start asking questions. Hey, before you go to, to help you, to help better serve you better, what's your favorite color? And do you like checks or plaid or whatever, like something weird, you know, like, like that then allows you to have a relevant conversation with them again. Hey, you know, you said you liked blue. <laughs> like, so it just as any conversation, you know, any, um, any first date conversation. You know, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite, you know, what band do you like? Like, do you come here often? <laughs> whatever, whatever those things are. Um, you should start asking those questions and be interested in your customer. And again, it doesn't matter whether it's a human or an AI. You know, you should be more interested in your customer. And, and if your customer is sensing that they're going to get something out of it and not just extending something, you know, like, and you're only doing it when you're, when the experience has been positive, when somebody has come in, if you like, red hot and, you've managed to, you know, you've managed to sort the problem out or they're, they're much happier than when they, when they started the um, conversation, then, you know, whether it's text or, or voice, then I, I think that, that there, there's an opportunity again to do all sorts of conversational things that don't necessarily have a payoff day one, but have a payoff later. And again, that is a different view of marketing <laughs> that certainly the service yep. side isn't really supposed to have. And the marketing side doesn't have because they don't even recognize the area code. You know, they're, yep. they're not even interested in that side of the business. So much of the problem here to me and shining a spotlight on the current state of customer service in the world today in 2022 with, on the other hand, like us understanding the, right, we're in this industry, we understand why the quality is the way it is. And we understand the situation that the people running these teams are in. And right, the, the very obvious goal of customer service is the brand needs to be there on any channel at any time with answers and resolutions to their problems, right? Very simple goal. The reality is though, if you're going to deliver against that with every single conversation being a one-to-one -one between two people, then and you're going to do it all manually, then you're talking about building a massive army of people, training, managing QA, the whole thing. And that is where it gets incredibly hard, right? Doing anything at that scale manually, it is just, it's impossibly hard and expensive. The goal is to have these conversations, solve these problems and 
bring people more deeply into the brand. And the only viable, reasonable business way to do that at scale is to have the, like the lion's share of these conversations being orchestrated through a positive automated experience. It's simply yeah. a math problem. Like, like if they were, if you always had more people answering than people with problems, easy. Customer service is no problem. <laughs> it's really, it's simple. The trouble is that there are always far too many problems and too few people trying to solve them. Always. And those, that shearing force is getting worse and worse. Um, there's a reason why customer service churns at whatever it is, 46%. I mean, it's a, it's a really tough business to be in. It's, you know, it's, it's yeah. not very nice being shouted at all day long, you know, whether it's in text or voice, <laughs> it's really, yeah. it's unpleasant. Right. Another just huge misconception around this is that the, this transition and this introduction of automation in a significant and, and good way is a bad thing for the people that are on these teams. And that is so not true, right? Anybody on that, that that's doing CX and doing support, if they got into it from a genuine place of wanting to serve people and wanting to deliver good experiences. And then suddenly the reality of being on the job is that they are just a firefighter drinking from the hose of simple questions all day, every day, churn of agents, like, and, and the whole nine yard, like that there's a lot of job fulfillment that's lost in this versus, Hey, can we introduce tooling that one is going to free them up by having these conversations automatically, but two is going to suddenly now put controls into the hands of these people where they can start to orchestrate the experiences that they dreamed of when they got into it in the first place. And they can use the, hum the human touch where it's valuable and all that stuff. You're absolutely right. There seem to be like two negative aspects to, um, a, let's call it AI, like automation, intelligent automation. The first is that when people expect, you know, Iron Man's Jarvis, you know, like, oh, I thought I was going to be able to answer everything all the time. And like, like a sci-fi, it's like, no, <laughs> no, it's not fantasy. It's real. Um, and then the second is that it's, you know, that there's that presupposition that because I've had such bad, bad chatbot experiences, that's, that's all that the technology can deliver, you know, and again, chat point one point chatbot 1.0 was a, uh, was a, you know, uh, the technical term, I think, is fucking disaster. I mean, it was just a nightmare. There was nothing good about it whatsoever. The world is like the world of chatbots is, a, is it still a toxic wasteland and you should never go in there on your own. So it's uh, it's because it's it's lonely and it's frightening <laughs> and it's dumb. It's really dumb. It's like, oh, you know, why are you asking me this question again? You know, like, you know this, you, I've logged into the chatbot, so you know who I am. Why are you asking me who I am? Why are you asking me for my order number? You should know my order number because you know, like, like stuff like that. It's just irritating. And let alone being stuck in a loop where you can't even get out to an agent. You know, like, that's the most infuriating thing of all time. Um, so just because things were bad, you can't judge an airplane flight now by how long a steam train used to take a century and a half ago. And that sometimes I, I feel brands are doing that. I think that's just genuine technophobia. You know, like I just think it's like, oh, it's, it's not going to work or it's not going to work for me or it's, it's either it's going to be too complicated or, or it's not going to be complicated enough. It's not going to understand my customer journey. It's going to, you know, it's going to try and simplify it. And my customers will, will have a, a, a degraded experience, you know, from my fantastic humans, which is neither one of those things are true. You know, like we've, we've proved the point that like, you know, again, you have a great experience with, with automation 
And automation has some fantastic things attached to it, like scale, number one. You know, it can, it can handle scale. It is militant about enforcing policies and procedures. There is none like, what did you give that away for? <laughs> no, it will do the right thing every time. And if you, if you program it well and your tech is, is smart enough, not only do you have a level of understanding that is sometimes as good as or better than a human being in context and everything else, and all those complicated edge cases like, you know, I'm going to cancel this order if it doesn't arrive by Thursday, isn't a cancel order. You know, like which a, a stupid bot will go, here's how to cancel your order, which is the very last thing a brand wants. But once you have that, it's like, how do you respond in a contextually relevant, personalized expert way? You know, like with sentiment and, hey, Brian, I see this is the third time that you've asked for this. You know, like, I'm sorry, there's still no update. Like something that's relevant to you. Whereas even in a human interaction, you never get that because nobody has time to look through and look at service history. Again, automation can give you all the benefits of that with none of the deficits of, if you like, you know, that sort of the, the, the human taking time. The amount of time you wait is directly proportional to your frustration by the answer that's given. One of my current hot takes is that a benefit that will come from all of this kind of chaos and economic downturn and all these kind of struggles that are facing brands today is that when we get to the other side of this, customer service is going to be 10 times better than it was when, when this all started. The economy is, is condensing and it's becoming about lifetime value and it doesn't take somebody very long to go down the rabbit hole of lifetime value to land on customer service and the technology and uh, the tooling is available in a way today that it really hasn't been ever to be able to like meaningfully put a dent in these things without just right kind of saying we're going to staff up an army and, and do all that because that, that can never be business viable. But I think that we're going to see over this next kind of 12, 18, 24 months, a huge transition. And to the, to the consumer's eye, uh, it will be one of those, I guess, right? If, if one of the benefits was we all got remote work out of COVID, then there's going to be this benefit that comes out of this period of time that is kind of the, the remedy and, and a huge big shift in quality of service that you receive from brands. So that think about with. COVID and then the recession as, as proof that Newton was right. You know, like the, was it the third law of motion? Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. I, th I think it's like absolutely true. There's a Lincoln quote, which I'm going to completely bastardize um, just because I can't remember it exactly. But he basically said that there were times in his life when he hit his knees, not because he believed that there was a God, but because it was the only logical place to go. <laughs> and and I feel the same thing about customer service, that people will start focusing on customer service because it's the only place where there is left that they have. That they, and, and I think that that's the case. And I think that we're going to reap the dividends of that eventually. Not necessarily, like, you know, certainly there are brands already that are forward thinking, that are looking for that, that are looking for, hey, what do you have that will build that relationship? What, what, you know, what do you do? What do you like? And are looking for that kind of expertise and thinking. But the vast majority of them are still thinking about, you know, how cost effective is this? It's old school deflection. We had one brand who complained when they deployed us that their average handle time for their agents went up. And we're like, yeah, of course it did. 
you know, like, well, well, the agents weren't happy because their metrics were were off. And they're like, well, that's because you're judging them by old <laughs> metrics. You're like, if you're on the phone with somebody dealing yes. with their like, problem and actually having a conversation with them, that's a good thing. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. The way we measure service in general is outdated and totally useless and doesn't give the business itself any understanding of where the problems are and what to do. CSAT in general is a is an archaic way of measuring stuff. It's like it's it's like measuring an electron with a yardstick. It's pathetic. So you cannot improve what you can't measure. And at the moment, for CSAT being, or even NPS, from being the overriding way of measuring, you know, it's like it's an analog measurement in a digital world. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And it constantly drags things backward, not forward. I hate the metric NPS and CSAT has brought to the customer experience and customer service world. It is such bullshit. It is like the biggest bunch of garbage that I've ever seen in my life. One thing I have always said is none of the NPS metrics actually even matter unless you, it maybe, maybe at the most you tie it to the product itself. Let's say you have 50 other 50 products, like they can all be delivered and the experience with that product could be totally different. And you're measuring the full fledged impact of an entire brand and the experience of, of an NPS score based on, like the next best action that Brian's talking about, how do you even solve for it? I mean, I think that right now we're on the verge of a pretty important crux in the market. And I think something that both of us solve is, is very relevant and important to the world right now. And I think that more businesses need to be considering it and thinking about it in a very different way than they have in the past. And I think that it's up to us to change their minds and to make and to make them crave the conversation again. That's that's the goal. We're going to change the world one ticket at a time. All right, awesome Ted. Thank you so much for joining us. 